Hey, everybody. It is Thursday, October 26th. You're listening to the Mo News Podcast. I'm Moshe Manunu. And I'm Jill Wagner. This is the place where we bring you just the facts. And we read all the news and read between the lines so you don't have to. Jill, according to the internet, today is National Pumpkin Day, which I feel like five days early than Halloween. But I guess the <laughs> pumpkins deserve their own holiday separate from Halloween. It's late for kind of like pumpkin spice latte season, and it's too early for Halloween. (laughs) I've seen the decorations up. I think everyone's got their costumes ready. I've always been a big fan of pumpkin pie myself, if you were going to talk pumpkin. Never really got into the whole pumpkin coffee phase, but pumpkin pie with a little bit of whipped cream, I think it's solid. You put enough sugar, you put enough whipped cream, you put enough butter (laughs) into anything, it's probably going to be good. You're right. Jill, speaking of food yesterday, we discussed (laughs) our favorite pastas for National Pasta Day, and I understand there's been some feedback from the listeners. (laughs) So I posted a clip of us talking about what our favorite type of pasta is. I was thinking that the headline was going to be how much Parmesan cheese I like on my pasta. And? But no. I am basically being heckled because I said that angel <laughs> I said that angel hair pasta was my favorite to which a lot of friends people who just listen to this podcast are like um get a grip <laughs> you can't do any better than that Jill <laughs> literally there's like 25 pastas <laughs> maybe 50 pastas you would pick before angel hair but like listen I think it's good to be, you know, you just stand your ground. If, if in fact, angel hair pasta is your favorite pasta. Mac and cheese. To, I didn't say yeah. mac and cheese. I didn't say like Chef Boyardee. <laughs> right, right. No, Jill wants to reiterate here to everyone today. She does have a refined palate. <laughs> I don't, actually. I don't. Oh. I'm very comfortable. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm very comfortable with who I am. And I, re- I don't think that I have a refined palate. Okay. I happen to just like kind of like the thin angel hair pasta. Jill, another trendy news. I understand you've gotten on the pickleball train. How was your first match? It's really like in, in trending news that you're jumping on after their trends. I enjoyed it. I actually, I used to be a, a big tennis player. So it was a little bit of an adjustment in terms of form and, and the way you hit the ball. But uh, I loved it. It was great exercise. And I totally get what the hype's about. Are you a convert? Because you know, like, People are addicts. Like, I've played a few times. I'm not an addict, but, like, some people are obsessed with pickleball. One time does not a convert make, but next week I am scheduled to play pickleball again. So I'm looking forward to seeing how good I could get and just doing this as part of my routine. All right. Beware, though, Jill. We've reported on the pickleball injuries uh, that are happening out there. So don't get too aggressive out there on the pickleball court. Oh, I'm not going to be able to walk tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Mosh, let's get to some headlines here. We have a new House Speaker. What? (laughs) It's true. Who is Representative Mike Johnson? Plus, the latest from the Middle East, Gaza set to run out of fuel. Israel's highly anticipated ground invasion still looming. What role did Iran play, if any, in the attack on October 7th? And the status of the more than 200 people still being held hostage in Gaza. Switching gears to Hurricane Otis, meteorologists are wondering how a tropical storm turned into a, quote, nightmare scenario in a matter of hours. Plus, Ticketmaster still has a lot of hidden fees well after agreeing to scrap them. Plus, Bitcoin. Remember Bitcoin? It's surging again. We'll tell you why. It looks like there could be a tentative deal in the works between Ford and the Auto Workers Union. The congressman who pulled the fire alarm could be facing six months in jail. 
and a bear on the loose in Aspen. I guess no one told him it's time to hibernate. It is the season for hibernation. What is he doing? <laughs> and Moshe is on this day in history. I'll be back. <laughs> That's your clue. <laughs> who could it be? Hmm, who could yeah. that be? <laughs> All right. Somehow, some way, after 22 days, we've got a new Speaker of the House, Representative Mike Johnson, a congressman from Louisiana secured the speaker's gavel without losing any Republican votes on Wednesday. The total number of votes cast is 429, of which the Honorable Mike Johnson of the state of Louisiana has received 220 votes. All right, as you just heard there, there were 220 votes for Johnson, 209 votes for Democrat Hakeem Jeffries. That means Johnson had unanimous support amongst Republicans There was one Republican who was absent from voting, but it follows three weeks of party infighting when a small group of Republicans ousted former Speaker Kevin McCarthy, leaving the House in chaos. It was pretty much paralyzed and unable to do any other business as two wars in the Middle East and Ukraine are raging and as that short-term spending bill is close to running out. Now to the big question, who is this guy? Mike Johnson has been a vocal supporter of former President Trump. He was part of that failed effort to overturn the 2020 election. And when a reporter tried to ask him about that at a press conference on Wednesday, other lawmakers around him basically started to boo and tell the reporter to shut up their words, not mine. Okay, Mosh, so I guess it's case closed on the 2020 election. Uh, What else do we need to know about Mike Johnson? Well, that's significant there because, you know, one of the reasons Mike Johnson was able to get the support, I would say, for two reasons. One, just complete exhaustion on the part of Republicans who are just like, please, like, let's just come to a compromise here. But two, that he certainly represents that wing of the party, the Trump wing of the party. And that is a wing of the party that Kevin McCarthy and others have been having trouble with. And so when the reporter threw the question there, they don't want to focus on that stuff. They don't want that to be the soundbite, but it's acknowledged that, you know, that sort of is a thing. They want to be forward looking, but also not upset the base by denying the election stuff. And most importantly, not upset the big guy, Trump, by having to address it further. But I imagine he will have to answer for it at some point. As far as Johnson's concerned, he's been in the House for four terms, so just about eight years. He's 51 years old, which makes him the third youngest speaker in more than a century. And in eight years, that's a pretty short amount of time to serve before having to run the place. He has the least experience in Congress of any speaker in the last 140 years. So we'll see how that works out, whether, you know, sort of his novice nature works in his favor or not. He's also deeply religious. Uh, Here's what he said as part of his speech on Wednesday on the House floor. I want to tell all my colleagues here what I told the Republicans in that room last night. I don't believe there are any coincidences in a matter like this. I believe that Scripture, the Bible, is very clear that that God is the one that raises up those in authority. He raised up each of you, all of us. And, And I believe that God has ordained and allowed each one of us to be brought here for this specific moment in this time. So he stands by a number of issues that the Republican base stand by. He's a vocal opponent of gay marriage. He supports a ban on abortion. 
pretty conservative on most social issues, economic issues, etc. He spent 20 years practicing constitutional law before getting into politics. He then spent some time in the Louisiana legislature, in the state legislature there. As a congressman, he was reelected as a vice chair of the House Republican Conference for a second time last year. So he's been gradually moving up in leadership, uh, considered a principal conservative who hasn't upset too many people within the caucus. He said he never really considered becoming speaker until someone contacted him about it over the past few days. Uh, sure, he hadn't. <laughs> Just like, like nobody's a, running for president. Oh, I had no plans to run for president. A politician without <laughs> ambition? I remember it was interesting. I was a Fox News producer covering Capitol Hill um, 07, 08. And I remember a young congressman named Mike Pence who would actually ask the reporters like when the cameras were off, like, all right, so I'm thinking about running for president. Like, what do you guys think? And this was like, 15 years ago. And I was like, who does this guy think he is? So there are 435 people <laughs> walking around Capitol Hill, plus 100 senators, 535. They all want to be president. They all want to run stuff. Don't buy the whole, like, oh, I didn't think I was going to be a leader. And there's no shame in the game. Like, I think that's your, no. you're a politician. No, just, just own it. Just own it. Just own it. Uh, and the Republicans recently, you know, they kicked out McCarthy. Then they had Scalise. Scalise couldn't get it. Then they had Jim Jordan. He couldn't get it. Then they had Tom Emmer for like a brief moment in time. He couldn't get it. Uh, so now Mike Johnson is your Speaker of the House, the 56th ever Speaker of the House. So we'll see how this goes. He's now second in line to the presidency. That's a key role in the continuity of government. If something happens to Biden, it goes to Kamala Harris. If something happens to her, Mike Johnson is your president, everybody. One of the big bills that's going to be coming up here is the big $100 billion plus aid bill that Biden is asking Congress for to give money to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, uh, and also billions for the border security here in the U.S. He says, Johnson says, Israel will be a priority, though recently he has voted against more funding for Ukraine, saying, you know, he doesn't believe we should be sending any more money for that war. So as this issue comes up, it'll be interesting to see how he navigates this, given the majority of House Republicans are against more aid to Ukraine, but in a package with border security in Israel, one of the reasons they're packaging it together, how will he approach it? One of the first challenges. And then, of course, in the next two weeks, we face another government shutdown. So we'll see how that goes for him. All right, Jill, let's move on to some breaking news overnight. At least 22 people were killed, another 50 to 60 injured in multiple mass shootings in Lewiston, Maine, late last night. As of midnight, a manhunt was underway for a suspect with a tactical rifle in the town of Lewiston. That's a town of about 35,000 people, just about 45 minutes north of Portland, Maine. There were multiple shooting scenes, including a restaurant and a bar bowling alley in Lewiston. Maine State Police asking residents to shelter in place overnight as the situation is ongoing and the manhunt continues. Among the places on lockdown, Bates College, a liberal arts school in Lewiston. It is such a tragedy for Maine uh, in some context on the state. The death toll being above 20 here in just this shooting, that nearly surpasses the entire homicide count for the entirety of 2022. There were just 29 homicides in Maine last year. The state has a population of about 1.4 million people. Again, the situation, nearly two dozen people are dead, 60 injured in Maine as a manhunt continues. This is a quickly developing story uh, that we're updating overnight. We'll have updates throughout the day on the Mo News Instagram feed. Now to the latest in the Middle East. Emergency aid that is supposed to be heading to Gaza is in flux because of a fight over fuel. We have been telling you about this for the past few days Aid trucks have started to trickle into Gaza with water, food, and medicine, but no fuel. 
the main United Nations agency in Gaza saying that it's going to have to stop aid operations within a day if fuel is not delivered. The UN Secretary General saying that without fuel, aid cannot be delivered, hospitals won't have power, and drinking water cannot be purified or even pumped. Doctors are warning that babies relying on oxygen supplies will die if fuel is not brought in. Israel, for its part, though, has refused to allow fuel to enter Gaza, saying that it would only be used by Hamas to fuel its fight against Israel. Since October 7th, Hamas has fired more than 7,000 rockets at Israel, uh, despite all of those airstrikes that Israel has done on Gaza. The IDF posted an aerial photo of what it said were fuel tanks in Gaza, claiming that they held more than 500,000 liters of fuel. Israel says they want all of the hostages home before considering sending fuel. Moshe, I know that you posted on the Instagram account pamphlets that Israel had dropped, basically saying to residents of Gaza, please, any information that you have on on the whereabouts of the hostages, let us know, uh, and we will do our best to protect you and protect your home. Uh, They also reportedly dropped pamphlets saying, you want gas? Ask Hamas. They've got plenty of it. Meanwhile, it is still a waiting game for Israeli forces as they prepare for a ground invasion into Gaza. Yeah, on the fuel thing, you have a lot of humanitarian groups who are saying, you know, hospitals have to shut down without fuel. The Israelis retorting saying Hamas has fuel. Ask Hamas, as as you noted. But the humanitarian folks stuck between a rock and a hard place here. You know, there's the terrorist group that may or may not, you know, have fuel. The Israelis are not allowing fuel in. Regardless, you do have major concerns about clean water and, you know, the basic needs of hospitals, generators, um, all of that as this war unfolds in Gaza. So as we've been telling you, the civilians here, unfortunately, stuck between all of this. Uh, As far as the ground invasion, the much anticipated ground invasion, right now, according to multiple reports, Israel has agreed to a request from the U.S. to allow the U.S. to put more air defenses in place across the region to protect U.S. troops ahead of an Israeli invasion. The Pentagon right now scrambling to deploy nearly a dozen air defense systems to the region, including for U.S. troops who are serving in Iraq, Syria, Kuwait, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and the United Arab Emirates to protect our soldiers from missiles and rockets. Uh, So the U.S. has persuaded the Israelis to hold off, anticipating that if Israel goes into Gaza, then it'll be basically full open season by all the Iranian terror groups targeting both U.S. and Israeli soldiers across the region. Israel's also taking into account in its planning the effort to supply humanitarian aid into Gaza with this holdup, as well as the ongoing diplomatic efforts engaged by the Qataris, the Egyptians, etc., to free most of the hostages. The concern is once an invasion starts, it'll be much more difficult for any more freeing of hostages. But the concern here for America is real. More than a dozen attacks against U.S. forces already in Iraq and Syria, many using drones and missiles. They've resulted in the death of one American contractor, the destruction of an American drone. At least two dozen troops in Syria have been injured, another 10 in Iraq. All of them minor, thankfully, so far. But it does come as Hamas, Hezbollah, Islamic Jihad, all these groups funded and supported by Iran, literally had a meeting, a a mini-terrorism summit uh, in Beirut on Wednesday, literally under the photos of the Ayatollah in the literal and figurative shadow of Iran to determine their next steps when it comes to this war. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu gave a primetime address to Israel on Wednesday night, saying that Israel is preparing a ground incursion of the Gaza Strip, but he did not provide any details in terms of timing. 
And he also came as close as he has so far to taking accountability for the Hamas terror attack, saying everyone will have to give answers on the failures that led to Hamas's bloody invasion on October 7th. He said the debacle will be checked to the full. He said everyone will have to give an answer on the debacle, including me. But he says Israel first needs to uh, win what he calls a fight for its existence. Yeah, there's going to be a major commission in Israel investigating what took place the deadliest day in Israeli history for civilians, deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust. One of the most widely held opinions in Israel among those who supported Netanyahu before this and those who opposed him is he needs to go. Uh, but in the meantime, the country has tried to unite around a uh, unity government as they engage in this war. Meanwhile, uh, Biden continues to lend his support to Israel. He was asked several questions at a White House press conference uh, on Wednesday alongside the Australian prime minister. He emphasized the need for humanitarian aid to enter Gaza while reiterating his support for Israel, saying Israel has the right and responsibility to respond to the slaughter of their people. He was also asked about uh, the civilian death toll in Gaza uh, the Hamas number right now at 2,000 children who they say have died in the fighting. Biden replying, actually, that he has no confidence in the death toll figures provided by the Hamas-controlled health ministry in Gaza. He says, I have no notion that the Palestinians are telling the truth about how many people are killed. I'm sure innocents have been killed, and it's a price of waging war. He has said that they've told the Israelis to be very careful when it comes to civilians and they have confidence so far that Israel is engaged and only pursuing terrorism and doing its best to avoid civilian casualties. Jill, it was an interesting remark and uh, certainly got some feedback on the uh, Mo News Instagram account from some members, particularly of the Arab community, who uh, feel let down by Biden here, didn't like the way that that came out, and say that there are going to be some political ramifications among progressives for Biden. You know, we engaged in a conversation. I said, listen, if you vote against Biden and Trump's elected, is that a result you're comfortable with, given your politics? And I think people are struggling with it because there's a lot of progressives who feel that the U.S. should be pushing for an immediate ceasefire in the region. But the vast majority of the Democratic Party, uh, unanimous in the Senate, the president, the vast majority of Democrats in the House, all supportive here of Israel as they respond to this terror attack. But there certainly is this sort of division, this fault line within the party on this. And Mosh, so far as of this recording on Wednesday night, no additional hostages have been released, but talks are reportedly ongoing. CNN reporting that the U.S., Israel, Qatar, Egypt and Hamas engaged in ongoing deliberations. We know four hostages, two American and two Israeli. They had been freed so far. But there is hope to reach a bigger deal where, where a bigger group of hostages would be released at once. The Israeli foreign minister, Eli Cohen, he was at the UN and he said, quote, while we are still here, there are babies that are in captivity, twins, Holocaust survivors, and we have one mission to bring them home. On to the bigger geopolitical picture here, and this is something that comes against the backdrop of concerns about a regional war. The Wall Street Journal has continued its reporting, finding Iran's involvement in this attack. Their source is now saying that roughly 500 terrorists from Hamas and Islamic Jihad participated in exercises last month that were led by the Iranian uh, forces, the IRGC. So they were involved in training them on how to use aerial drones, paragliders, which is uh, something the Iranians use. Others rode in on motorcycles that are also commonly used by Iranian paramilitary groups. So what was Iran's involvement here? Uh, the U.S., Israel, the West have been very careful 
to note that, yes, Iran is helping these guys, but we're not directly involved in the attack. This really matters because if they're involved in the attack, then there are implications there for what the U.S. and Israel should do should they be bombing Iran and a larger regional war. So they're being very careful here. And so if it seems confusing, it's because it is because they don't want to say anything that then requires them to conduct a regional war while also recognizing the reality on the ground. So I found this Wall Street Journal reporting fascinating. All right, we have a lot more to get to, including today's speed read and on this day in history. But first, we want to talk to you about one of our sponsors this week, Bull and Branch Sheets. We've talked about how we only want to endorse things on this podcast that Jill and I really love. And Bull and Branch Bedding and Sheets is one of those things. We've had them in our house for nearly a year. Jill, I know your clan, also a huge fan of Bull and Branch. We love them in my house. And they both work for winter and summer. They made the summer of record heat a bit easier. They are soft, breathable sheets. And so we've gone through all four seasons with them. And one of the things that makes Bull and Branch sheets uh, great is they're made with organic cotton without some of the harsh chemicals used by other brands. The sheets really do get softer with every wash. And what's great is they're offering a special deal to all of you. Um, I often hear from all of you in your DMs on Instagram that you love these sheets as well. And right now, they're offering 20% off your first order plus free shipping when you use the promo code MONEWS at bullandbranch.com. That's bull and branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch, bull and branch. Promo code MONEWS. The deal is for a limited time. Exclusions do apply. So see the site for details. Okay, time now for the speed read from NBC News. In a single day, Hurricane Otis went from a nuisance to a monster. The hurricane made landfall near Acapulco on Wednesday morning as a Category 5 hurricane explosively intensifying by about 115 miles per hour in just 24 hours. This is according to the National Hurricane Center. They're calling this a nightmare scenario for southern Mexico. Only one other storm in recorded history, Hurricane Patricia in 2015, eclipsed that mark. One researcher writing on Twitter or X, imagine starting your day expecting a stiff breeze and some rain. And overnight, you get a catastrophic 165 mile per hour winds. Just 24 hours prior, it was a tropical storm and was forecast to make landfall as a tropical storm. The intensification here is the story. Pretty stunning stuff. Now that it's made landfall, it has been weakening, but the strong winds, the heavy rainfall, the flash flooding, um, continuing to hammer parts of southern Mexico. The National Hurricane Center is saying up to 20 inches of rain are possible in certain sections of Mexico, so we're going to watch what unfolds there. Of course, the rapid intensification means that a lot of people stayed home thinking, okay, it's a tropical storm, we can deal with this, and then immediately woke up to a Cat 5, and it was already too late to evacuate. One of the concerns with this intensification trend we've been seeing in recent years, where we've been seeing a larger percentage of tropical storms rapidly intensifying as they approach landfall, has to do partially with water temperature. This went over 88 degree water Fahrenheit, which basically turbocharges these storms. Uh, And we've been seeing more of this in recent years, oceans shattering temperature records, multiple bodies of water in the grips of these marine heat waves. And so that's been a concern here with climate change is warmer waters, not necessarily leading to more storms, but the storms that go over them getting much stronger than expected. From CNBC, Live Nation, the entertainment giant and venue promoter that owns Ticketmaster, promised back in June a new all-in pricing experience for concerts 
where starting in September, consumers would begin to see the total cost from the start of their ticket searches. The commitment came at a Biden administration event focused on cracking down on so-called junk feeds that raised the prices of many consumer products and services. But NBC News reviewed more than 40 upcoming ticket offerings for events in over a dozen states. For more than 90% of the events reviewed, Ticketmaster's listings displayed the base rate for tickets without any of the mandatory Ticketmaster-imposed surcharges. To see the all-in price, customers must either sign into a Ticketmaster account and continue through the purchase process or navigate to the filters menu on the search screen and then toggle on an option to show prices, including fees. And this is a lot of money here that we're talking about. Discrepancies between the base price of a ticket and then the total after taxes and fees can be quite considerable. For example, shoppers who don't find and click the included fees button would see tickets to a Kenny Loggins concert in L.A. this Friday. Wait, Kenny Loggins still doing concerts? <laughs> yes, if that's your takeaway. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they are listed at 39 bucks a piece, but only by adding the ticket to their cart, signing into Ticketmaster and then proceeding with the purchase would they see that total climb to $48.25 because of service fees and then there is an additional processing fee of, of five bucks per order, which would bring the total cost for a single ticket to $53.25. So that's 37% higher than that initial price. How do you feel about paying 53 bucks for a Kenny Loggins concert, Jill? 39 seemed like a deal. I don't know about 53. Moshe, I guess it depends um, if he's going to sing Footloose or not. If he sings Footloose, I mean... I'm in. I guess, how could he not, right? I mean, there'd be a riot if he didn't sing Footloose. <laughs> then he also has Danger Zone, Highway to a Danger Zone. I mean, like, if you're thinking peak 1980s music, it's Kenny Loggins. I will say that it's, it sounds like Ticketmaster.com is sort of its own danger zone here as you kind of go through it. It's like the fee fee, the extra fee, the fee because you're going to pay it anyway fee. But this is serious because they were supposed to already take care of this stuff. Senator Amy Klobuchar, you might remember her, the senator from Minnesota, called out the extra steps in a letter that she sent to Life Nation this week saying the all-in pricing should be a default view, not an optional setting. Get it together, Live Nation Ticketmaster. She's asked the company to provide an update on all transparency efforts by next week. Congress, you know, staying on top of the important things. This actually has been a huge issue for them, actually. Live Nation told NBC News that the all-in pricing has been instituted for all new shows in Live Nation-owned and operated venues as of last month, but that most upcoming Ticketmaster events currently available went live before that date without the all-in prices. So basically, the other stuff was grandfathered in. Sorry about that. The new stuff, we are taking care of it. That's going to Live Nation. We'll see. But Jill, if I can make it to the West Coast, I'm gonna, I'll am i see you at the Kenny Loggins show Friday night. <laughs> this issue, by the way, is like the perfect issue for Congress. Yeah. It's annoying for Americans. Like it, it makes good headlines. They could grasp what it's about. It's not so big. It's not like AI and how to regulate tech. Oh, oh, like fix healthcare, <laughs> education, social security, keep the government open, <laughs> immigration. They're like, you know what we're going to focus on? Ticketmaster. <laughs> it makes people feel like I'm getting stuff done, but like it's not too hard and it's not too controversial. From CNN Business, why Bitcoin is surging. Bitcoin rocketing higher, topping 35,000 for the first time since May of 2022. It's actually up 20% over just the past five days. The famously volatile cryptocurrency has more than doubled in value this year. 
what is behind it. Well, investors are growing excited about the prospect of being able to buy Bitcoin funds that trade on good old fashioned stock exchanges instead of having to deal with less regulated and sometimes sketchy crypto platforms like FTX and Binance. This latest round of excitement came as the BlackRock Exchange traded fund for Bitcoin appeared on a list controlled by the Depository Trust and Clearing Corp. That's a NASDAQ-owned clearinghouse for stocks and ETFs. BlackRock had applied in June to register a Bitcoin spot ETF. It is still pending approval, uh, but a BlackRock Bitcoin ETF would give the cryptocurrency this new sense of legitimacy. That's all they want, Moj, to be taken seriously. I know, especially if you talk to the crypto bros. They're just like, give us some respect. This is a serious thing. Um, you know, there's a, a, one of our OG crypto bros, friend of the pod, Mike Zussel. Oh. He got into Bitcoin like back in 2011 and bought some for like less than 100 bucks. And I was like, why didn't you tell me to buy it? And he said, I did. And I was like, <laughs> really? You should, you should have taken my money at that moment. So that's friend. why he's able to travel the world. He actually is on a mission right now to go to all countries around the world. I think he's at 150 so far. Anyway, not to digress. The crypto thing, this is serious ETF. You know, one of the concerns about crypto is it's sort of in the sketchy netherworld. And when you bring the backing of the SEC and the stock market being able to trade um, crypto here, it gives legitimacy. It gives people a sense like, okay, I'm willing to invest in that. And that's why people are bullish on this right now. Still, the SEC has not approved the fund yet. Investors may be getting out in front of their skis for the moment. So we'll see what happens there now, one other reason, sort of more negatively, why Bitcoin is rising right now is fear. As investors look to diversify their portfolios in uncertain times, some are now turning to Bitcoin, uh, sort of a digital safe haven. You know, back in the day, even today, you know, you buy gold and Bitcoin is another way to hedge your investments if you think the market's peaked and we're about to see, you know, some sort of drop. From the Wall Street Journal, the United Auto Workers Union close to securing a new tentative labor contract with Ford after intense bargaining overnight and into the day Wednesday. This is according to people with a knowledge of the talks. The UAW now in the sixth week of its strike at the three Detroit automakers has called for work stoppages at three Ford factories and has sent more than 16,000 factory workers to picket lines. The two sides have moved closer on key bargaining issues in recent days, uh, but the situation is fluid and there is still a possibility that talks could stall. Union leaders are expected to take several days now to review details of any deal before it's made public. The union apparently made a counteroffer to Ford proposing a 25% wage increase over the life of the next four-year contract. Previously, Ford, General Motors, and Stellantis, which makes Chrysler Dodge Jeep, uh, had offered 23% pay increases. So they wanted 25%. Apparently, according to reports, this pay increase with Ford could see a 30% increase, actually, according to some reports. It's unclear how soon workers return to the factories and whether GM and Stellantis will now be pressured uh, into joining Ford here with this deal. That's been something the auto workers wanted, which is the same deal with all three automakers. And they've continued over time to start striking at more and more plants, especially ones that make some of the best sellers for these companies. So they've really been trying to ratchet up the pressure. And clearly, the automakers want to make a deal here. From ABC News, remember that congressman who claimed he accidentally pulled a fire alarm saying that he thought it was a button to open a door? 
Well, Congressman Jamal Bowman, a Democrat from New York, has now been criminally charged with a misdemeanor in connection with pulling a fire alarm in a congressional building on Capitol Hill last month. The charge carries a maximum penalty of six months in jail. He has been ordered to appear in D.C. Superior Court this morning for his arraignment. And the charge comes after that alarm was set off on September 30th in the Cannon office building as Republican lawmakers sought to kick off a vote on a spending measure to keep the government open. Yeah. Bowman at the time insisted the mishap was totally an honest mistake. He thought he was pressing it to open a door as he rushed to a vote. However, surveillance images that came out showed the alarms and emergency exits were very clearly marked, including detailed instructions on how to open the door versus how to pull the fire alarm. So as you mentioned, he'll be in court today. It's unclear if federal prosecutors are reviewing the matter as well. We should note, Jill, with all due respect to Congressman Bowman of New York, he's a former school principal. You know, one thing you often do in school, fire drills. Uh, You also warn students not to pull fire alarms, and they're very clearly marked. So it's interesting this happened during a vote, that he didn't want it to happen, and he made his excuse, and now there's some ramifications. I cannot imagine him serving any jail time, I would imagine they're going to give him some sort of fine and probation. Still, uh, we wanted to do the follow up for everyone today. It's more just embarrassing, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Like Congress needs another embarrassment. You're like, they got a Speaker of the House. But let me tell you about the congressman who claims he pulled a fire alarm during a vote because he thought he was opening a door. It's bad enough we have George Santos. Why this? The New York (laughs) delegation really punching above its weight here. And from NBC News, a warning that even though it is hibernation season, people should be on the lookout for bears in certain part of the country. This story out of Aspen, a bear prowling for pre-hibernation snacks, raided the kitchen of a luxury Colorado resort and injured a responding security guard. The late night food run unfolded at around 11 p.m. Monday at the St. Regis Aspen Resort when the guard surprised the four-legged intruder in the kitchen. This bear has some good taste. Those are some pricey goods in this St. Regis kitchen in Aspen. Yeah, this is all according to a Colorado Parks and Wildlife statement. The bear attacked and knocked the guard down before he got away. Uh, That guard called to 911. The guard taken to the hospital, treated for scratches to his back, and was released on Tuesday. Don't get in the way of a bear at 11 p.m. in the hotel kitchen looking for some snacks. Jill. That's like what me and that bear have in common. <laughs> Don't. <laughs> if we are in the kitchen at 11 o'clock at looking 11 for PM, snacks, just let step it happen. aside. <laughs> so apparently Parks officers got to the resort early on Tuesday, learned that the bear had entered the hotel through a series of doors near the courtyard. This bear was on a mission. Wildlife officers were able to get a description of the bear. So what did the bear look like? How big was the bear? What color was the bear? Including specific identification markers to assist in locating and identifying the bear. Apparently, they then spotted the animal, but could not tranquilize and capture the bear due to public safety concerns. Wherever the bear was at the time, the Colorado Parks and Wildlife put out a statement saying, this incident serves as an unfortunate reminder that bears are still active as they prepare for hibernation. So those of you out west, they're still on the loose. All right, now time for On This Day in History on this October 26th. You say the price of my love is not a price that you're willing to pay. Musical lovers will recognize that from Hamilton. On this day in October 26th, 1775, 
King George III speaks before both houses of parliament to discuss his growing concern about a rebellion in America, which he viewed as a traitorous act against him in Great Britain. He began his speech by reading a proclamation of rebellion, urging parliament to end this revolt in the Americas. Of course, just about eight years later, America would be fully independent after defeating Britain in the war. We now jump to the 19th century on this day in 1881. You may have heard of the legendary shootout at the OK Corral. That took place on this day, a little more than 140 years ago, in Tombstone, Arizona, between the Earp brothers and a friend going up against the Clanton McLaurie gang. Uh, after silver was discovered in Tombstone, it became one of the richest mining towns. And so you had Wyatt Earp, uh, his brother, his friends, claiming to represent law and order. They were pretty ruthless. Then you had uh, these McLaurys and these Clantons, the cowboys, who lived on a ranch outside of town. They were also thieves and murderers, by the way. So these two groups in Tombstone were struggling for control uh, of the silver trade, etc. And it ended all in a blaze of gunfire. The surviving members were put on trial, but a judge found them not guilty, saying they were justified in committing the homicides. The wild, wild west on this day, 142 years ago. All right, before we get to some pop culture, a happy birthday today to Pat Sajak of Wheel of Fortune. He turned 77. Just one year younger than him, also born on this day, Hillary Clinton turned 76 today. All right, per the clue at the beginning of the podcast, I'll be back. The action thriller The Terminator was released in the U.S. on this day 39 years ago. Hugely successful. It made an actor who was in his mid-30s at the time, named Arnold Schwarzenegger, a star, and established James Cameron as a bankable filmmaker, as they say. So what's become a familiar theme here on this podcast, Mosh, I have never seen The Terminator, the movie. Oh. And I believe that um, my husband will probably listen to this podcast. Michael, are you listening? <laughs> yeah. And, you have to get Jill plugged in on, uh, just don't talk to Jill about it at 11 p.m. in the kitchen, but at another <laughs> time of day, <laughs> you, need to, <laughs> you need to get her to watch the Terminator. All right. And finally... On this day, 42 years ago, Queen released Under Pressure featuring David Bowie. Though, Jill, when you hear bump, 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 bum, 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 I also think Ice Ice Baby because Vanilla Ice also ripped it for his song. Very true. So I had asked people on Instagram what song is kind of representing their mood right now, just because everyone mm -hmm. has so many feelings and emotions. And a couple of people wrote Under Pressure which I thought was pretty accurate. Yeah, apparently it was July of 81. Queen was working on an album in Switzerland. So was David Bowie. They ran into each other, and that spurred the collaboration. A fascinating collaboration between two of the you know biggest groups at that time. So a little musical history to end us on this day in history. All right, on that note, we want to thank you for listening to the Mo News Daily Podcast. I do want to mention my full interview with Nero Feliciano about how to talk to kids about what's going on in the Middle East and war in general. Uh, that is up on our feed. It's it's a short, just about 15 minutes, but she has some really good advice. So take a listen if you're struggling with that. Yeah, great advice from Feliciano. I know that's been a question for many of you. And, you know, as we continue to navigate some of these tougher issues, 
we will try to make a point of giving you some productive tools to help address them with people in your life, people who disagree with you, your kids who are seeking basic understanding. And please be open with feedback and suggestions. We want to make sure that we continue to serve you, our audience, our loyal listeners. By the way, if you like what we're doing here, as Jill mentions, please give us a review on Apple or Spotify. It helps. It really helps us grow, actually helps us gain our reach. So if you take a moment to review, we would appreciate that. With that said, we'll see you back here tomorrow. Jill, it'll be a Friday edition. Always fun. It's Friday. All right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Mo News Podcast.